Welcome to this special edition of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, and if this were a regular CXO Talk episode, it would be episode number 92. We all know that federal government and big government and technology is sometimes a quagmire. But there's a lot that is taking place within the government that is interesting and good and really innovative. And so today on this episode of CXO Talk, we're going to have a very special conversation with three people. With David Gray, who is the Chief Information Officer for the FCC. David, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Michael? Great. David, uh, why don't you briefly tell us about your background, very briefly about your background and your job at the FCC before I introduce our other two guests. Sure. Uh, so right now I serve as the Chief Information Officer at the FCC. I've been here for about a year and a half. I uh, came into a situation where they had had nine CIOs in about eight years, um, either in an acting capacity or a permanent capacity, and uh, also discovered they had 207 different IT systems for only 1,750 people for the FCC as a whole. We're kind of small. So it's a situation where there's a lot of need to modernize a lot of the old legacy systems. More than half of our IT systems are more than 10 years old at the moment. Um, and also uh, trying to bring both innovation as well as morale building uh, across the FCC, particularly with the IT team, uh, so that we can actually be more innovative and transformative with the IT that we're doing. Great. Our second esteemed guest is Craig Newmark, who is the founder of Craigslist that everybody knows, and also Craig's Connects. Hey, Craig, how are you? Uh, doing real well. Uh, my deal is that as well as the Craigslist and Craig Connects stuff, well, I've been doing a lot of uh, public service and philanthropy over a 10-plus year period. What I don't talk about a lot is that for six years, I've been quietly involved in Washington trying to better figure out how to help people make things run better and how to show more and more respect to people in government. Uh, this is all me talking for myself. And none of it's a Craigslist thing. It's just uh, Craig talking. Again, trying to make things, uh, trying to help other people make things work better and to get people the respect that they've already earned. So respect for the government. and. Our third guest is Karen S. Evans, who played the role, even though she didn't have the title, of effectively Chief Information Officer of the United States. And she did that for six years. Karen, how are you? Oh, great. Thanks uh, for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So Karen, just to tell us very briefly about, uh, about that role and also about what you're doing now. So that particular role is a political role. Um, I also served 28 years in the federal government with the last job prior to that one being the Chief Information Officer for Department of Energy. And now what I do the last five years, I've been working in the nonprofit world, working on a project called the U.S. Cyber Challenge, where we're trying to really increase the workforce as it relates to cybersecurity. Fantastic. So let's dive in with some questions. So, so we're going to be talking about innovation, technology, and the government. And so let's start off with the topic, 
how can digital technology change and improve the government? And David, do you want to take a crack at that first, since, since among the three of us, you are the one who is actively in a government employee today? Sure. Um, so I think how technology, in particular, how you can bring technology to work together in an agency can actually transform and allow us to be more innovative is really in the idea that public service and government agencies can become a trusted data broker between the public and between other stakeholders, such as industry stakeholders, other government agencies, um, other community representatives. So it's really just how can we actually bring them together. And so what we've been trying to do at the FCC is instead of having 207 different IT systems with data in different locations, we're trying to actually move towards a model where actually there is one common data platform that's in the cloud across all those different systems. And then we have a very thin user interface and reusable code, ideally with open APIs that then the public can connect to, other stakeholders can connect to as well, as a way of actually trying to make that trusted data broker model. Um, at the same time, we launched about 11 months ago a thing called the FCC Speed Test app, uh, which was actually open source. And so you can actually download that either onto your Google phone or your Android iOS device for free. The code is on GitHub, so you can actually look at the code. You can fork it if you want. And that code, if you choose to run it on your smartphone, will actually test your connection speed, give you an immediate result, and then anonymously report that to a third party that then shares it with the FCC. And what that does is it actually produces the first crowdsource map of connection speeds by provider across the country. And so whereas in the past, we actually had to use taxpayers' resources to test connection speeds in homes, to test connection speeds in cities, now we can effectively involve the public, again, in that trusted data broker model role as a way of actually sort of, sort of informing policymakers and informing the connection speeds across the country. So, so Karen, David was talking about this notion of a trusted data broker. Is it, is it really all about the technology? Or how, do, how does the technology and the cultural dimensions, how do they fit together? So it's not really about the technology. And one of the things that we really emphasize, and it continues to be emphasized uh, within the executive office of the president, where I was located and where this job is located, is really being the, the focus on citizen services. And technology is a means to deliver that. So David is, gave a very specific example of the mission of FCC looking at the connection speeds, but then involving the citizen in order to come up with a better solution to go forward instead of using taxpayers' money. And that really is the role of what my job was supposed to be. Um, what any CIO's job is, is the strategic use of technology. And in the case of the federal government, their job is all about information. They do a lot of information collection, but then they have to turn around and do a lot of information dissemination. So that, that's the point. Like any, Every agency collects information, but it's what you do with that information that then helps improve citizen services. And Craig, I know uh, you're particularly interested in this idea of the type of culture change that happens and the relationship between the technology and the culture. And you've been working with the VA and I think with some other groups inside the government. So what are your, maybe share some of your observations on this. Well, you start with the notion that in any large hierarchical organization, the people at the bottom know a lot about what's going on and how to do it better maybe than people at the top, the boss. Uh, what technology can do is provide people with the tools 
by which they can work together to provide that kind of intel to the boss and to make concrete suggestions for how things can be done better. It just requires the active support of the boss and, for that matter, to a lesser extent, of uh, middle management. So I'm talking empowering employees with what's called in Washington employee innovation efforts, just trying to get that done and trying to get it done everywhere throughout Washington, all departments and agencies, trying to push that. Um, that's, I think, key to cultural transformation, which is to say ordinary people in agencies should be given that power to act on what they know about making things better. That's a way of also showing respect for federal employees. It's internal. Uh, as a tangent, I'll just like to say that since the press is never going to give a break to people in government, I'd, I've suggested that federal employees start using their own personal social networks to let citizens know about good stuff going on. I know that there's barriers to that, perceptual, uh, legal, regulatory, but the idea is that federal employees can make things run a lot better through employee innovation, and then they're going to need to stand up for themselves and demand the respect that they've already earned. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. David, uh, you spend a lot of time making known the things you're working on using technology, namely social media. Yes, so that was actually very intentional. Um, both what Craig said and what Karen said is exactly key that a lot of what you're doing when you're a CIO in, in any organization is you're actually doing culture change or cultures plural change. And I knew when I got to the FCC, again, with the history that things were at, that we are in a situation where there was kind of blood on the floor and, and morale was down and that these IT systems were very old and were needing to be modernized. And that was going to be a bit of an uphill climb. And if we didn't get the story up about what we were trying to do now, as well as what we were trying to do in the future, um, as well as the innovative efforts we were trying to do along the way so we can actually have services for the public as we also work to basically take a old, probably the best analogy is we're trying to take a uh, old uh, Douglas uh, plane and actually update it to a 777 while it's in midair and flying at the same time. So that's partly why we went on social media. Uh, the other thing was back in 2000 and 2001 I signed up as the IT chief for what was called the Bioterrorism Preparedness Response Program at the CDC and again exactly what Craig said particularly in crisis situations, if you don't listen to the edge and you listen to the people that are, you know, sort of actually on the front line of what needs to be done, and that can be both the front line in terms of your own organization, but also the public, um, you're not going to be relevant. And so it was both about getting the message out through social media, but then also listening through social media to other people from the public, from government, and being receptive to actually learning in the process from them. Um, I actually think I probably learned and listened the most uh, benefit through my interactions on Twitter in terms of just discussing the challenges of updating IT systems. So Karen, what are your, any, any thoughts on this? I mean, you were... Oh, you, I'm glad you asked me, because I'm ready to jump in here. I'm ready to jump in on a couple of these pieces. Uh, because there's great points that Craig is making about employees and employee innovations, and then using social media, and he kind of jumped in there just a little bit and mentioned policy and regulations, right? And then there's a lot of pieces that David is talking about, too. So 
part of the role of when, when people are like, oh my gosh, you did this for six years, is to take that employee innovation and to take it through that layer that Craig is talking about and get it institutionalized within the bureaucracy. So during the Clinton administration, there was an effort underway that really empowered employees, which was the National Performance Review. And there were a lot of these initiatives that came up, and then they ended up dying on the vine when the administration changed because they ended up not being institutionalized within the process. And so I think part of what uh, CIO's job or part of what my job was, was to really take that process and help empower the employees. Because the process and the bureaucracy is not going to change anytime soon because we haven't even talked about Congress. And Congress has a big play in how the agencies get their funding and their resources. So, so what's the... You know, so when you are working in the government and on the one hand you're, you're kind of isolated trying to get things done yourself, but at the same time there are these very large broader forces like Craig was describing the media and you're describing the, the Congress. What's an innovator to do? <laughs> How does well, get anything done? I would just say, in, in the government speak, what we call is, that is political awareness and business acumen. Yes. That as, a, as a senior leader, you have to have political awareness and business acumen in order to see what all these external forces are and then to be able to drive forward your idea. But Craig has really hit on the crux of the issue, which is, is, is um, breaking through that one barrier of the what I would call mid-level management that kind of that will stifle innovation if they don't understand what's in it for them and that's the point that David was making is you are managing change on multiple levels yeah and I think to build on what Karen was saying um, so I'm a preacher's kid and it's surprising that the older I got, I realized that church congregations and public service are very much the same. The reality is, you know, the preacher, the minister is trying to bring together many different narratives of the congregation in a way that they can move forward, mainly by voluntary consent in some respects. Because a lot of times you're trying to motivate people that may not report directly to you, but may be part of your stakeholder base. Um, they may be even outside of your organization or in a peer organization. And so, it's, it's how can you be an effective leader by listening, learning, recognizing that you're going to have blind spots, allowing people to share their own narratives, bring them together, and then exactly like Karen said, in no respects, how do you then institutionalize that so that even after you're gone, that new innovation is actually lasting to go forward? Okay, so, you know, what about the person who is an individual contributor who's trying to get things done? And Craig, maybe these are folks who you're working with to say that layered on top of whatever their technical skills might be or their product skills, they have to have, uh, what did you say, business acumen, political awareness, and business, business acumen. acumen. <laughs> that seems like a pretty tall order to me. That was a parent suggestion. Frankly, what I've seen of individual efforts to make things work better, uh, they need actually a support structure, people above them who will uh, 
will help out. And frankly, the only individual effort I've seen that I can recall with a lot of success is Dave's own social media efforts. Uh, without uh, embarrassing David, he seems to be the role model for the use of social media, possibly throughout the entire uh, federal government. I've seen a few, uh, let's say, senators who are doing a comparably good job, but this is the exception. Uh, I'd like to change the question then a little bit. That is, how would we work together to tell, to, en to empower all federal employees to start stepping up using social media to tell citizens what's going on and again to demand the respect that they've earned. Uh, I suppose I could write something and post it in media or whatever and tell people to demand respect and then they can blame me when they go too far uh, but I don't, uh, I don't think that would be too effective although it would be funny. <laughs> so I'm actually searching for uh, how do you do this? How do we? Uh, how do federal workers are ready to do the right thing? How do we uh, create that tipping point? And then maybe to sort of build on what Craig was saying. So at the FCC, we were in need of updating a very old consumer complaint system, and so one of the members in our team by the name of Dusty Lown uh, came here actually from Silicon Valley. Uh, initially, he was working two to three days a week here at the FCC and then flying back because he actually had a startup on the West Coast as well. Um, and fortunately for us, I guess he got so interested at the FCC that he actually relocated to D.C. from Silicon Valley, although I'm sure he may go back at a later date. And within six months, he basically had demonstrated a new model of launching a consumer complaint system using a software-as-a-service cloud platform that was only $75,000 to get the cloud service and then his consulting time to actually help the Bureau change their model to that new cloud service. And so compared to other government agencies that spent about $3 million, we probably spent one ninth of that, so about 85% less. And he got it done in six months. The new consumer complaint system is actually online for the FCC Live. And what I saw my job was is there was friction along the way as he sort of had these new proposals. As he said, cloud computing, that made procurement a little bit uneasy. As he talked about changing their processes, it made the existing bureau a little bit uneasy. And so I sort of had to serve as that human flak jacket that as friction was incurred, his role as a positive change agent was protected so he could actually see the results of his labor come to fruition. Um, but I think we need to have more human flak jackets for more people across the public service space. And that's where maybe social media can actually help provide that flak jacket. So the, just a couple points that Craig brought up, if we could go back to that, because I'm actually trying to solve your problem right now, um, <laughs> going through this. But but there's a couple specific things. So we're talking, and David, David's example is perfect for this, because you had a specific outcome, which was the consumer complaint system. So you had a specific outcome that you were trying to achieve, and then you used social media as a means to help deflect or deal with some of the issues associated with that. If you go to that mid-level management across government as a whole and say, you know, we want to use social media um, to get good news stories out about federal workers, everybody will go, oh, that sounds really great, but what does that actually mean? So if, if it was brought, broken down into smaller pieces, like we want to highlight a specific program, and we want the people that are the program manager and his team 
be able to use social media to talk about that particular program and they become a concept of operation. So I'm giving you all these government terms here. <laughs> um, how to how to use the social media to highlight that program. Then what you do is you you then can point to the other agencies. So specifically like within Veterans Affairs, right? Veterans uh, that department in VA, there there's are specific programs that are working really, really well. Um, that's a culture which Craig, I'm sure you're very much aware of that is probably now even more risk averse than it was before. Um, at dealing with the media and using a bunch of things. But there's a couple programs that if you went and said, this is how we want to do it, that's what the government really likes to see is they like to see these small successes. So when you highlight David, um, other CIOs are trying to figure out, okay, David is using social media. He's accomplishing a lot of things. Now, how do I translate that back within my own department and agency? You know, speaking of social media, I want to say thank you to Zachary Jeans who, as we're talking, is taking uh, screen captures with quotes and assembling them and posting them on Twitter. So, Zachary Jeans, I want to really, I want to call you out and thank you. Thank you for that. But, but let me go back to a point earlier. Craig, when you were talking about social media, you were, you were talking about it as not a driver necessarily of transparency, even though, of course, it is that. But, but as I understood it, you were describing social media as an amplifier for the person, for the folks working in the government to help, uh, help empower their own work rather than just bring transparency to it, but real amplification and empowerment. Yeah. Um, I do a fair amount of transparency work, and my disclaimer is that I'm on the board of Sunlight Foundation. But putting that aside, I just see a lot of uh, people in federal agencies, particularly Veterans Affairs, getting a lot of crap that they don't deserve. And my only suggestion to reverse that is for people in agencies to point out what's being done well, for them to post that in their own personal social networks, and again, thereby demand the respect that they've already earned over a period of many years. Uh, this is a message I've been repeating. I don't know how to articulate it well. I don't know how to articulate it compellingly. I'm trying, but I, I really need help. David, how, how do we help this guy? Well, I mean, I think... <laughs> Craig is actually being way too humble. He's actually been very successful at motivating a huge amount of change agents. Without a doubt. Uh, to, to Craig's credit, and actually Karen's credit too, they both were actually, we did the next generation of public service awards, and actually, Michael, you did a video announcement for that as well back in August. I think it's, you know, it's, it's almost, you all are each serving as human flak jackets to give people permission to go forth and do this. You definitely see it in a sort of a groundswell of positive change agents. I think the other thing that I would add to the narrative, in addition to highlighting what's working well, I think it's worth having a conversation with the public about some of these things are intentional by design. You know, we wanted checks and balances in the system. That's why it's kind of slow. That's why it's not like a startup. Uh, the last thing you want is the Department of Defense to say, look, we tried something didn't work out, we need new venture capital funding, otherwise we're going to go bankrupt. That's not how you want your military to work. So some of this is intentional by design. 
That said, there's this massive exponential change in technology that's going on, and so we need to have a conversation with the public, with political leaders um, across the nation in, in some respects, at the state level, local level, and federal levels, about how do we adapt to our changing times? How can we better use technology? And what does that mean for representative democracies? And so I think the first step about what Craig said about he is providing a flak jacket, you are Michael, Karen is as well. From that, once we can actually at least have a conversation that there are some things going well and there are some things that need to be adapted to be improved, have then the conversation with the public about how do we improve them together. But, you know, the, it seems like these, the pockets of innovation that you hear about, like, like what Craig is doing with the VA, like the digital service, like uh, 18F, these are, um, it seems like these are really the exception. Or is that just like an incorrect, biased, outsider's ignorant view from me, that perception? Well, I mean, I think it is, it's probably the case, I think it was initially Ford, when they looked at Ford, where they said that 20% of the people do 80% of the interesting work. Um, and so I think that's probably the same case here, is that if everyone was doing innovation, it wouldn't be labeled innovation anymore. And so maybe it's more of the bell curve up here, are the early adopters that recognize how we do public service needs to change, and then that's being carried out. Um, I do think we need more change agents, and so what can we do to try and encourage that and recognize that? Um, definitely open to ideas. So let me jump in here a little bit, especially when we're talking about 18F and uh, the digital services and, and the innovators. Um, and, and David is right, you need more innovation, but the other part of that and the other challenge where David talked about some of this is done by design is the handoff that goes back into making the process work on the back end. So there's the part where the citizen actually sees it, and 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 you know that that can get fixed fairly quickly. What ends up happening, and I'm going to come back again to policy and regulations that that Craig mentioned, is is there's a handoff that has to happen, and sometimes the process that is not necessarily as transparent as it needs to be is designed a certain way in order to really expedite something, but it doesn't seem like that to the end user. So I'll give you a great example. When we first were putting out all these different data and Google came and talked to me at the White House and said all this information should be available, it should all be indexed, everything should be out there. And we actually had an initiative that was streamlining the queries so that it would get the person to the program as fast as it could based on how they were answering certain questions. And so when you look at it from an outsider's perspective, you're saying, oh, they should know about all the programs. But the challenge becomes if they apply for all the programs, it actually ends up getting bogged down in the bureaucracy because there's appeals processes, there's all kinds of other things. So the government's trying to streamline some things on the back end and really reduce your costs. But it doesn't seem like it to an end user when they're, when they're searching for programs. So some of that point that David's making by design actually seems that it's it's cumbersome, but but it's actually trying to expedite regulations and statutes that are put on the executive branch. David, uh, any thoughts on that one? Yes. Well, I think what Karen is talking about is exactly the great point, which is 
there's both digital code, what we do with IT, and then there's legal code. And legal code, of course, we inherit from either what Congress passes and approves or what gets sent down from the executive office of the president. And, you know, legal code will always be behind what the technology can do. Um, but again, I think sort of going to what Craig said about if we can make it more visible to the public what we are trying to do now and what we plan to do in the future and sort of sharing that and how we're trying to adapt, at least maybe there can be a better understanding that it's not the case that we don't know what's going on. It's just oftentimes we're either constrained by resources uh, or constrained by budget uncertainty. Uh, in fact, we're moving forward with the transformation of FCC's IT, and our budget essentially is the same budget we've always had. And so we're going to have to just basically figure out how do we either cut back on existing systems or turn some systems off while we're trying to uh, sort of change the plane in flight. Uh, but there is that intersection of policy and legal code and how that then impacts what you actually do in the bureaus and offices. The only last thing I would also say is sometimes there are pockets of innovation that aren't brought back to the departments and agencies and the work of the federal government for the most part, and I think this is true for state and local too, actually happens in the departments and agencies. And so uh, one of the things we were trying to do here at the FCC, I tried to do it when I was at the CDC too and it was successful, is embed the IT people in the bureaus and offices. Uh, particularly with what we're calling entrepreneurs, so they're entrepreneurs on the inside. If they're actually in the context of the bureau or office or department of agency that they're trying to do the work, they're going to understand the mission better. And in that process of understanding the mission better, there are going to things that are going to pop up where they're going to say, wouldn't it be nice if we could do the following? And that's where then having that IT person on site with them will help with a benefit, sort of a mutually reinforcing forcing system of both. Um, and so that would be the one recommendation I would say is there may be some innovation efforts that are happening at a high level, but as much as possible, we need to make sure they're cross-pollinating and actually embedded where the mission's actually occurring. So, so Craig, how can, what, well, you're, you're really a very strong advocate for the people who are working in the agencies. And how can these agencies create a, an atmosphere that supports innovation and supports these change agents that David was referring to earlier? Um, this is with limited uh, knowledge and observation. What I've seen mostly at VA is that they need to be run continuous employee innovation efforts and that they need to be continually examined and approved or whatever probably by someone who reports directly to the secretary. The people who come up with the good ideas need to be uh, publicly respected and uh, honored, and those programs need to be implemented. If there are reasons why a program can't be implemented, sometimes it's law or regulation, then uh, a fully transparent answer needs, needs to be uh, the response. But the idea is to make innovation a daily part of everything that goes on, get it the full support of the boss, and then have people in the agency make a big deal of it in social media to create a social norm that employee innovation is just something that you do every day. It's not the exception. Uh, that's my guesswork. I do think it needs to be everywhere in Washington, and that includes Capitol Hill, because among federal workers on Capitol Hill are uh, staffers who do a lot of good innovative work that no one recognizes. And uh, tangentially, I'll just mention, Hill staffers 
are so underpaid that they have to become hunter-gatherers, only able to survive by grazing at fundraisers to supplement their food income. So, Karen, just uh, continuing with that, how can the agencies create this environment of trust where you can have creativity and by definition, if you're innovating and if you are creative, then some of the things you do are not going to work, right? That's the nature Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. And what I would say that Craig just described is the job description of a chief information officer at every department and agency. And mm -hmm. that's really what they're supposed to do. That's not what you see them currently doing. So I will be, I, you know, I can be controversial here over this. But that was always what Craig has described was always the vision of what the CIO was supposed to do at every department and agency. That they were supposed to do that outreach. They were supposed they're supposed to go down into the bureaus and, and agencies like David's talking about and bring that innovation and that innovative use of technology forward to the secretary and run that and then be able to um, expand it out department wide. And they're supposed to do a constant review. The challenge of what happens in a department and agency is we do process for process sake and not necessarily for the result and the outcome that Craig is describing. And and so that that becomes a challenge. Like if you went and described what Craig is talking about, several departments and agencies would come back and talk about the capital planning and uh, investment control process. And and they don't do it as quickly as they should be doing it. Craig is probably talking about a really short cycle of how this is supposed to happen and departments and agencies will implement on a long cycle and I see David smiling and saying that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, Karen Evans, I mean Karen said it great. I mean I do think this is what CIOs should be doing um, and I think it's also about providing three things to everyone that's part of the team and the team can be bigger than just the people that report to you but can you provide them autonomy um, so they can actually see their ideas through to fruition. Can you provide them measurable progress? Uh, there's a wonderful example that actually says if we see measurable progress, we're more inclined to actually see an effort through to fruition actually become institutionalized. It's actually why we apparently like playing video games because we get that immediate feedback of how many points have we earned. And then finally, give them a worthy cause. Make sure whatever you're tackling actually has some meaning to the public. And I think the good news is we have that in spades within public service, but that actually is something that's an important mission with positive impact. David, you're you're a CIO, uh, so you face this challenge, these challenges on a daily basis in terms of creating the right type of atmosphere for your folks to innovate. Give us some practical. What are some of the things that you do on a daily basis to make this happen? Um, so first and foremost, um, again, it's 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 I, when I first meet with any team, I try to, one, say that there's a difference between leadership and management. Leadership is when we step outside of expectations and there's going to be friction. Uh, management is when we do what's expected of us. And it's not a binary value. We're going to have times when we need to do both. But that I expect each one of them to sometimes step outside of expectations and be leaders, just like I hope that they will understand there will be times when I'll step outside of their expectations and be a leader. So that's first giving them permission to actually step outside of expectations and be a leader. Second is actually there's a Harvard Business Review article that says in praise of incomplete leaders 
which actually says the best leaders recognize they have blind spots. And so I tell them, I know I probably have some blind spots. There are probably some things I'm missing. That said, I'm counting on each of them and a diversity of views to let me know if I'm missing something and to make recommendations. Um, so I do have an open office policy. I often share uh, Rudyard Kipling's poem, If, uh, partly because that was something my father gave to me when I was 20, but also partly because I think it has a lot of good lines for someone that's trying to be a change agent and maybe hitting their head against the wall. Uh, the opening lines are, if you can keep your head about you when all are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubting too. I mean, I think that's, that's part of being a risk taker and actually taking some risk and recognizing that all risk will play out. Uh, I do tell people I'll be their flak jacket. So in the event that something doesn't play out, we thought through it, we looked at the data, we made a risk, we took it, didn't work out, I'll take the fall, let's just pick ourselves up and try again and learn from that. And then finally, I think it's the other thing that I try to do is connect people both within the team here at FCC, but also outside of the FCC, a sort of a network of public service change agents at state level, at local levels, and other federal agencies. Um, I actually host every two weeks a what I call a creative brainstorm. Uh, because when you're trying to be a change agent and trying to make change and hitting your head against the wall, it's nice to know that you're not the only one trying to do it. And so in some respects, it's almost like a support group for change agents. Um, and then lastly, the one thing I would end is, I think my role is I should be a non-anxious presence, uh, that there is a lot of stressors, we're getting a lot of pressure to do with legacy systems, we obviously are getting some media attention in terms of things over the age of our systems and things like that. But if I can be a calming, non-anxious presence that says, we will figure out how to do this, I welcome innovative ideas. That can help the team move forward in, in positive directions. I love that, be a non-anxious presence. Uh, Craig, I know you've, you've given thought to the notion of change management and how you drive change and, and, and all of this. Any, what, what are your thoughts based on your observations? both inside government and outside government because, let's face it, human nature doesn't change if you work in the government or you work out, and any large organization requires change management. So what are some of, what are your observations or advice based on, on what you've seen? Uh, I'm uh, not articulate or charismatic to try to go for big scale change in any kind of dramatic way, and for that matter, I don't have the hair for it. Um, the only thing that works for me is relentless, everyday nudging in a good direction. I uh, have a feeling David has already seen a fair amount of this. The idea is that on a very frequent basis, I just keep uh, pushing a little bit, hopefully not too hard, trying to create social norms and expectations that kind of work. This may have been successful after six years at VA, although I'm sure I'm not the only person pushing for cultural transformation and uh, customer centricity. So that's kind of the only stuff I know is to just keep pushing short of being uh, really annoying, although I don't know where that line is, and just to commit to it as I have. Well, I've only committed to it for a 20-year period so far, and I'll just keep doing it and, uh, and see what happens. Um, that's the only thing that ever works for me. It's enhanced, I only recently found out, by, well, practicing what you preach. And the way I'm preaching is that apparently I've handed out hundreds of my business card at VA and elsewhere. My title is customer service rep and founder. And that uh, symbolic act may have been the successful part 
of the nudging I'm doing. Okay. My business card really does say customer service rep and founder. I actually do customer service, although these days it's the lightweight stuff since customer service is really corrosive and you can only handle craziness for, well, in my case, maybe 15 years. <laughs> so, uh, so, if, so I guess the summary, the takeaway there is have a clear direction, or at least a at least a sense of direction of what's the positive trajectory, and keep be relentless pushing at it, but not pushing so hard that you alienate people. That's a, a positive spin on it. Again, it it's a trade-off. Uh, I'm an outsider, so there's probably less tolerance for me being a pain in the butt. On the other hand. As far as I could tell, all staffers in Washington have been helped by my uh, company work, so I don't know. And since I am a nerd, I don't know how to read people. Seems to be working pretty well so far. Uh, so, Karen, what are your thoughts? You you were the administrator, essentially the CIO, although not in title, for six years. That that's a long time for a CIO to have that job in government or out of government, and in the government, it's it's a really long time. How do you? It, it is a long time. You don't. It doesn't seem like it when you're there, though. I mean, because there's so much that needs to be done. And to Craig's point, it's it's doing it, nudging people over and over again. But it's having a shared vision of what that outcome is that you're pushing everybody to. And and that really, and there's a couple other pieces that were brought up through some of the discussion. And one of the things was um, there's going to be failure along the way. I don't know that I necessarily call them failures. So this might be my rationalization as well as I always called them learning experiences going forward um, because we learned what didn't work. And you have to learn that before the due date. So if you're going to fail, quote unquote fail, then you got to fail fast so that it can inform the project quickly. Now, there, you know, that's been resurrected into agile development, but what that always was is, look, we have a short time period, and the trying to deliver something in a long time period, like three to five years, nobody knows what you're doing, and so you have to break it down into small pieces. So we pushed and pushed and pushed every day, every day, we were giving a briefing on some of the projects. We were running 25 projects government-wide and trying to get all the departments and agencies to play together with one project plan to implement one common project. So it, it's a lot of nudging. So Craig, even if you're on the inside, it's a lot of nudging and it could be called um, obnoxious, I think, at times. And to the point where people are like, oh my gosh, she's calling me again. But, and they would do the work so that I would quit calling them and they would get it done so, and, and hit the milestone so that I would quit calling them. So, you know, we're, we're almost out of time, but David, do you want to finish us off with, it, it seems like your compatriots on this panel, uh, Karen and Craig, both were talking about this notion of just relentlessly moving towards a goal and 
I suspect, so I was going to make a comment, but why don't you share your view on that and the relevance of that comment to, to your work? And maybe that'll, and I think that's going to chew up, that's going to use up the rest of our time, unfortunately. Right. Um, I, I, I love the nudging. Uh, sometimes I feel like my job is human cattle prod. Um, it's, it's the art of being politely persistent and, and, and knowing that, that, that balance of how much is persistence and being polite at the same time, not uh, ideally incurring friction where you flame out. I think it's the other thing is, 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 as Karen said, about finding that shared vision. And so if you parachute in from the outside or from the inside with only your vision and you don't take the time to actually work to incorporate other people's ideas to make it a shared vision, it's probably not going to make a lot of traction. Uh, again, this is a model in which um, if, if you have a vision and you're being politely persistent and they're not bought into it, they'll just wait you out. And so I think any recommendation for a CIO in the public sector or the private sector is listen to the people on the edge, listen to people across the organization, incorporate that into your shared vision, then serve as a human cattle prod to help politely push it along, and along the way give people opportunities for positive impact. On that, that's one of the things that I try to say is, well, there never will be an IPO in public service. We can give you a reverse IPO, which is essentially an opportunity for positive impact. So, so basically, listen, push, give opportunities for feedback, and continue doing the same thing. Yep, and repeat. Exactly. Repeat. <laughs> repeat. And I guess, unfortunately, on that note, where we've run out of time, this has been an interesting discussion, and I would like to thank so much Craig Newmark, David Bray, and Karen S. Evans for joining this special edition of CXO Talk, where we have been discussing innovation in the government. And I'd, and I'd really like to say thank you to, to all of you three and to, to the folks who have been watching as well. So thank you very much. And I hope you'll all come back and, and let's do this again another time. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Thanks. So that's it for today. And I hope everybody comes back on Friday for our regularly scheduled CXO talk this Friday. We're going to be speaking with the CIO of Adobe, Adobe Systems. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.